0: Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. This is hit part one of our series called You Asked For It. My name is Pastor Todd. This is Nate Sagai. Hey, just so you know, his name is not Nate Sagai. His name is not Naev Gabresu Sagai. Y'all give him love You don't have to say that. You just say Nate. Or his domino name is Big Nate. Um, do y'all know he was? A, he's a he's a national. He's the number one ranked domino player in the country. Isn't that awesome? That's incredible. So uh, anyway, and he taught me how to play dominoes, but I'm not very good at it. So if you want to play somebody, play me. Don't play him. Um, so anyway, hey, this is our series called You Ask For It. It's been really really cool because we asked you guys to submit questions, and it started in really kind of slow. I was like getting nervous. I'm like. Nobody's got any questions and then all of a sudden the floodgates open and just question after question after question came in And so anyway, if you have any questions and so just so you know too I might say something that creates more questions Um, and that's fine too. And so, uh, if if, because how many of you know You always have your buddy or your friend that asks you that one question. You're like man I don't know what to say to that So I'll try to answer your your buddy or your friend's question. You could submit that. And then, of course, we've set it up too to where you can actually use those cards as an invite tool to say, hey, come to church. You can ask any question you want. And so um, as a matter of fact, if you're here today and you're maybe a first-timer, or or maybe you're not even sure that you're a believer in Christ and struggle with this whole thing of faith, then I really, really want to answer your questions. And so our whole thing here is trying to help you connect to God and your journey of faith and know Christ and and put that all together. We know there's questions. We know there's struggles. And so we cannot wait to jump into it today. And so, Nate, anything before we begin?
1: No, I'm excited. I mean, like you said, we probably had over 200-plus questions just pour in, and I'm
0: excited to get into this, so it's going to be good. So here's the deal. Before I begin, I just was really thinking about this this series as a whole, and I thought before I answer any one question, I, I felt like it was just kind of important to open up this whole idea of why it's important to ask questions. And so, not only why it's important to ask questions, because there's a, there's an old saying and I think it's so profound, and it goes like this: If you ask shallow questions, you'll get shallow answers. If you ask profound questions, you'll get profound answers. And if you ask no questions you get, you get no answers. Yeah. So it's important to ask questions. I think it's great to be a curious mind, but I felt like, you know, what I really want to do is I want to share with you how to ask a great question. Cause I think there's a huge how to thing and a how to component to asking questions. So, um, funny enough, one of the questions that came in was like, how long have you been a pastor and things like that? So I've been, I put it this way. I, I've been preaching in a local church or leading bible studies since I was 17 years old. I'm 39, so you can do the math on that, probably faster than me. And so uh so, so you know, I've been doing this a long time and what I found is that church people sometimes stink at asking questions. And it's not the questions they ask, it's it's how they ask them. There's a weirdness in Christianity that I want to a, a, a kind of attack right now if you will. Like I want to like just totally like let's let's be put it this way. If you're going to ask a question, I've been around enough religious people where they're kind of like Snarky, or divisive, or self righteous, or argumentative, and I'm like, this—that's that's, that's a terrible way to ask a question. When you ask a question, you you want to do, be curious, be humble. Like, don't, because here's the deal: you don't know it all. I don't know it all. As a matter of fact, you, uh, this is going to be funny to you. Most of the questions that you ask me, you know what my real answer is. I don't really know. I'm not certain on that. Like, I'm, I'm a little, cause see, here's the problem. When you, when you, when you come to questions about faith and God and the Bible, one of the biggest mistakes you can do is to be absolutely certain about anything. There's very, very little that you should ever be certain about. And here's why. When you become absolutely certain about something, what happens is, is that you, you end up with this inability to learn anything new or to unlearn something wrong. Like, you, like your whole, I'm 39, I'm still trying to figure this stuff all out. I've been studying the Bible religiously. That's funny sounding. I've been studying the Bible religiously for like 20 years now, and I'm still constantly learning new stuff. And again, when you get certain, like, I remember this, I remember reading a book one time and I remember, uh, I, I, I'd heard these phrases, the son of God and the son of man. And, and I'm like, you know, but then the typical preacher was always like, oh, well, the son of man, that was God and his humanity and the son of God, that was, or that was Jesus and his divinity. And that's just, that's just what that meant. And then I'm like, oh, okay. Cause at first glance, that's just what it seems like makes the most sense. And I'm listening to somebody who was a Jewish scholar and they're like, oh no, no, no. Actually, when he referred to himself as the son of God, that would have been him referring to his humanity because that's what they called Kings. Kings in the old Testament were refer, kings and prophets were referred to as sons of God that, but they were human. Everybody knew that. And then when, when he referred to himself as the son of man, that was him refer, referring to himself in his divinity. Because when you read Daniel chapter seven, the Messiah, when he comes or the Christ, when he comes will be called the son of man. And then he lists all these divine attributes. It's the exact opposite of what you thought that it was. And so again, when you become so certain, well, I know this will do you. So I'm just be humble, be curious, be kind. Um, here's another thought I had with, with, when it comes to certainty, the other problem with certainty is, is sometimes you just become more divisive. Like when you think about like Christianity and we're getting away from this and I think it's a really good thing. We're getting away from the, the, the strict lines of denominations and the dividing lines that, well, we're this, we're over here. We're, it's like we, we, in Christianity, we become more known for what we're against than what we're actually for. And what we're for is life changing. Like the life of, of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, the grace of God, the kindness. Of, I'm telling you, it's the most incredible, profound thing in the world. To know God is an incredibly profound and wonderful and amazing thing. But yet the world just knows we're against a bunch of stuff. And again, it comes back to maybe how we ask the question. Here's another one. Be careful of your absolute certainty. Is because I've seen people do this, is they get so absolutely certain about stuff. And what it does is, is it ends up creating a crisis of faith. Because what happens is it's like, you were so certain. That the Bible said this, and that the, and then all of a sudden you realize it wasn't true, and because what you did was is you attached your faith to your certainty, not to God, and you were so certain that something was true, and then when you found out it wasn't true, what you did was is you lumped everything in together and thought, oh well, something you have a crisis of faith, like oh maybe the Bible's not true about everything then, or maybe I had it wrong about everything, and maybe and you have these doubts and questions, and so what you want to do is with your faith outside of the, re- the 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 life death and resurrection of Jesus outside of that you want your faith to be flexible does that make sense in the in the sense of like no i'm always open to learning i'm always open to growing what is it that i don't know because again if you're anything like me you realize the, the well the more i learn the more i Realize I don't actually know everything. I, I I lack certainty, and so anyway, that that's just a thought for for you as we begin this day. Let's ask questions with humility and with with a sense of grace and kindness about us, and and so anyway. I
1: like that. I mean, I mean, what if you find out like you were so certain about something, you find out I was wrong, and and I I think I've been there myself before, and I find myself thinking, man, like, I've told thousands of people what I just told them. you know. But so uh, on that subject, here's here's a really good question that came in, and I want to ask this question, Pastor Todd: If we discover that other intelligent life lived or once lived on another planet, would that be the end of Christianity as we know it? Isn't
0: that a cool question? Are there aliens out there, and yes. what is the answer? I have no idea if there's aliens out there. I've never, I've never gone throughout the rest of the universe and seen that and figured that out yet. So I don't know. And if, I, I will say this: we've been apparently America has been sending out a signal for decades, trying to send out a signals and codes and whatever. And we apparently to this day we still have not found intelligent life out in the universe. It hasn't, unless you're an era, Area Fifty-One conspiracy theorist, which is fine. But as far as I know. There are no aliens. But the interesting question is, is this is like, what if, what, what if we did, what would that mean? And to me, it would, it would mean nothing. Like, like, I mean, it would be fascinating. Don't get me wrong. It wouldn't mean nothing. It would mean nothing in the sense of our faith because see our, again, our faith is attached to, to God as the creator of the universe. Does that make sense? Like, like this is the old thing where you get with like, when you hear a, a, a atheist guys talk about God and they'll say, oh, oh, you're just using uh, the God of the gaps argument, which is basically this idea that, and, and throughout history, this was true. Like anything that we didn't understand, we just said, oh, well, that's God, right? So like Gus, if you got struck with a lightning bolt, we, you know, we didn't understand how clouds and energy and storms, and we just thought Gus was a bad guy and God was getting him. And, and, and that couldn't be further from the truth because Gus is fantastic. And so, um, but we would just say, well, oh, that was God. God got him with a lightning bolt, you know, that kind of, kind of a thing. And that, that was relatively true throughout history. But um I, I think what you want to be careful of is, is recognizing that God is not the God of the gaps. He's the God of all things. He fills in the things that we know and the things that we don't know. He's not the, he's not the answer to what we don't understand. He is the answer to all things that we do understand and don't understand. And so if, if all of a sudden we we discover intelligent life, that's as a matter of fact, we were doing this. We have a we have a Friday night Bible study with a bunch of teenagers. And she's kind of preparing them for university and, and maybe having their faith challenged. And that was kind of brought up like, well, what if you discover, well, here's the thing. Like, let's say we discover something new in science and it messes up some of our, our current theories that has nothing to do with whether or not we believe in the existence of God or not, because God is the God of all existence. He's the God of the, He's the creator of the entire universe. This is why when you go back to the idea of the Big Bang, that, that literally there's a starting point to all space, time, and material, right? We've been believing that forever. We believe that from Genesis 1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He's the creator of all things. And so if there happens to be intelligent life somewhere else out in the universe, to me, it's just be like, oh, well, that's God creating other things somewhere else just because he wanted to. And he has every right to do so. And, and, and he has no obligation to inform you of all of his activities. Parents, can I get an amen? Like every once in a while, every once in a while, look, you don't need to know what we do when the door is closed. Sometimes we're going out. You don't need to come with us. You ain't going to every movie. You ain't going on every day. You ain't going on every vacation. You need to stay at home because it of even a vacation if you take them with you sometimes. <laughs> That's unrelated to this question, really. <laughs> let us Let us continue. So, anyway, so, Nate, take, take us away. Into well, our- what's cool with that is, too, is
1: like in Deuteronomy, actually, there's a verse that I love. that says that God will reveal some things to you and some things he won't reveal to you. And you have to be okay with the things he doesn't reveal to you and just kind of dig into or dive into what he does reveal to you. So I agree with you on that. What's cool about this series is that we've actually realized that every question fills in or comes into one of these five categories. <clears throat> one is the nature of God. One is heaven. Another category is creation. Uh, social issues, and Bible questions. And we talked about this and thought, what's the best way we can navigate through all and each every, each one of your questions? And so we thought, you know, why don't we take a little bit of each and then talk about this in the next four weeks? So we're not just going to do just one that's just about the nature of God and one about creation. We're going to tackle uh, question after question and mix it in uh, for this week. So the first question here, or the second question, is this one is about the nature of God. Todd, the question says, who made God?
0: You know what's cool is I know I know where this question originated from and it's not the first person that ever asked me this but this question was originated by one of the smartest kids I have ever had a conversation with like there's a there's a lot of adults that I whew, they could they could hang out with this 10-year-old and be smarter for it. and so uh this kid was so smart so, and 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 this is what happened their parents the parents contacted me and say hey can, he's got questions can can you talk to him I'm like yeah of course and they showed up cuz this is when you know when you're counseling a 10-year-old but their mom brings them, they showed up with a slushie and a lottery ticket. And it was like, this is the best counseling appointment I've ever had in my life. That is the new gold standard. You show up to a counseling appointment, bless God, you bring a lottery ticket and a slushie Anyway, so he asked this, and he had a bunch. He had a bunch of questions, but he started with this question of like, well, because he was really, as a ten-year-old, contemplating like the existence of God and how we know that God exists or why we believe God exists, and then if so, because all these questions come into play, and the question was just simply, um, who made God? And it's a great, great question. And so what I did was, is I said, okay, here's a pen and a piece of paper, and I told him this. I said, I want you to draw me a four-sided triangle. And man, it stumped him for a minute. He starts. He he ended up drawing a rhombus. (laughs) was just just trying to make it happen or whatever. And I'm like, "Come on, you gotta, you gotta draw me a four sided triangle." And eventually, he was like, "Well, I can't." And I said, "Well, why can't you?" He goes, "Because it doesn't, it doesn't exist." I said, "So, so this is the idea behind God. The idea behind who made God is that God cannot be made, or he would not be God." If God could be made, then whatever made God would actually be God. And the thing that we called God that was actually made would not, in fact, be God. Because by definition, you can't be God. Because God, if God is all-powerful and all-knowing, then he holds all. God has no potential in him. Like, you have potential, right? You can get better. God can't get better. He has no potential. He is what Aquinas called the unactualized actualizer. Does that make sense? So like, it was this idea that God being, being all powerful, all knowing all these things that he he cannot have a creator or therefore he wouldn't be, although it just, so it's, it, it's the, it's the equivalent of saying, I met the bachelor's wife. No, you didn't. It, it, it's an impossible, it's a logical impossibility. So to ask the question who created God is the, is, is the equivalent of saying who is the bachelor's wife? Well, you're like, well, Todd, there is no such thing as a bachelor's wife. By definition, a bachelor doesn't have a wife. And what I would say is to ask the question who made God is an illogical question because if God could be made, therefore he would no longer be God. So therefore God cannot be created. Does that, that makes sense? That's cool, huh? That's like, yeah, yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. Who that's, made a great, God?
1: that's a great answer.
0: Nobody is the answer. God is the, uh, he is the uncaused first cause of all things.
1: Amen. Second question. Third question I want to ask you. Now, all your questions were amazing. Uh, none of them were shocking. Some of them were a little weird, I guess. But <laughs> they're all good questions. Um, this question is particularly interesting. Uh, does God have a wife?
0: No, no, no. And and this was this was asked by somebody trying to figure out how does – if God is a father and God has a son in Christ, then <sighs> – Well, I've only seen babies come from one place, and that's when there's a a mommy and a daddy, you know, it was, it, so, it, but, but that's been a legitimate question like of faith and of scripture and of God. And, and, and again, this kind of comes from like the way that we saw ancient religions because ancient religions had this kind of maternal figure. So like when you read the ancient religions of the world, they had created this idea of there was a dude God and a girl God, and they got together and made other gods and these gods. and so you have all this, this kind of stuff. And so, uh, the, the answer is again, when you, when you go back to this idea of, of God having, having a wife. No is the answer. There's nothing in scripture that would ever lead you to believe that. As a matter of fact, there was the, the reason why this got important too. Back in 2005, there was a book actually released by an archaeologist said. And it, I think the book was called "Does God Have a Wife?" Because they had found this ancient inscription on a on a on a idol, and it talked about Yahweh and Asherah, which Asherah was an ancient like Baal Canaanite god or whatever, and, and she she was a, a female god, obviously. And so um, they were like, "Oh, look, God!" And it's like, no, no, no. This was pagan idolatry all throughout the Book of Joshua and Judges and moving forward. What they had done is they had moved into Canaan, and then they had adopted some of the different beliefs that already existed there. So what they did was they just took Yahweh, what they believed was the one true God, and they're like, oh, but yeah, we'll take Baal and Asherah and, you know, Marduk and all these. And they started blending stuff. So the fact that you find an inscription on an idol is actually confirming the biblical account not contradicting the idea that god ever had a wife so god doesn't have a wife and 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 really what you see is, is that god is god is really neither male or female he because the bible says this the god it says that god made mankind in his own image he made them both male and female so ladies you are made in the image and likeness of god just like a man is god because you got to figure where did all the attributes of woman come from well, does that make sense? So, no, God, God does not have a wife, and that actually I think leads us into our next question. That's a great question. Um, this next question is I think
1: one that a lot of people have struggled with, um, no how long they've been in the faith. Is God three persons? or it's just one person?
0: Yeah. So this is really the question of the Trinity, right? Like God is three in one and one in three, and there's different ways of kind of thinking about that and looking at it. And so what I would tell you is, is that the difficulty with the Trinity is this, is that it's not an illogical problem. Like we talked about like a four-sided triangle. It's, it's that it's an idea without comparison. Like it's almost like there's nothing in the universe. People are like, well, it's water. You know, there's, Solid, liquid, gas, but it's all H two O. I mean, we're, we're trying and reaching, but there's almost it's, it's almost unparalleled in the universe to think about this idea. And so, wh- what I would say is, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about a second ago, that God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit—that'd be the Trinity, right? And so, it gets this idea of if there's a Father and a Son, then you know, where's Mommy at or whatever. And so, the, the reality is, I think I think the better way to maybe look at it would be like this: is that number one, God is holy. Everybody say holy. Holy literally means other. God is unlike anything other than you can get your head wrapped around. That's why all the biblical writers start constantly saying, well, he's like a shepherd, but he's like a rock, but he's like a fortress, but he's like a light, but he's like a path, but he's like a true vine, but he's like a, and you're like, oh my gosh. Well, because you can't get your vocabulary wrapped around an all-knowing, all-powerful, I mean, like, you don't have words to describe. God is other. He is unlike. So imagine, imagine this three-dimensional being trying to like, explain itself to a two-dimensional world. Two-dimensional world would never be able to like, because if you're a two-dimensional world, you're just like a little stick figure running around, right? You're flat. And all of a sudden, this three-dimensional thing enters your world and you're like, well, that's different. Oh, yeah, it is very different. How do you describe that? I don't know. And so imagine God reaching into this two-dimensional world and then, you know, again, God is one, but then you, so it's almost like this. If you said, what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is what God looks like when he dwells inside the hearts of men. What is Jesus like? Jesus is like God inside a body. <laughs> like, what would that look like? So if you're wondering, what would, what would it be like if God walked the earth? Go read the life of Jesus. That's what it looks like. What, what is it like to think about as God outside of all space, time, and matter? Like, that's like God, because to think about what Jesus said in John chapter 4, he says God is spirit, right? And so, but, but then he says this, you know how you best relate to him? Think about a perfect heavenly father. Now, you can say a bunch of other stuff about God, but that might be your best image of maybe how you relate to God. All of a sudden, obviously, we have these images of Father. And what would it be like? And again, because you had to think of they lived in a patriarchal world. So for them, it made sense to say, no, God sent a son into the earth because what the son meant to a patriarchal society meant that he was responsible for the entire family. And that's why Jesus gave his life for all of humanity, and they called him the firstborn of all creation. Why? Because that was the role of the firstborn in a patriarchal society. And so anyway, you have Father and Son and Holy Spirit, and you have this beautiful oneness and dance, this divine dance that takes place. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's beyond. It's other. He's, God is holy. As a matter of fact, when you read Isaiah's account or John's account in the book of Revelation, they have these images of what heaven looks like, and they see these angels singing, holy, holy, holy. And they didn't have exclamation points, right? So if we saw something that said that was holy, and we would put a big exclamation point, they would say, holy, 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 meaning like, he's holy, he's other, he is something beyond what you can get your brain wrapped around. And so anyway, so that's, I would say that's how I would think about the Trinity. That's great. That
1: deserves a hand clap. I mean, that was such a great answer. I love that. Um, Isn't he so encouraging? No, I I love it because we try to, we, we try to put our minds around what we can, like, grasp, but God is so far beyond that. And the term holy being other. And sometimes, like I said, it, you know, um, it, it, it just excites me. And, and, and I hope this is what you do with this. You don't walk out of here thinking, you know what, that's the answer. I, I never have to study that again, but I hope, <laughs> I hope you go home actually, and, and actually have good conversations or maybe study for your own and for yourself and just find out more about what these questions bring about.
0: Next question. Um, hold on real quick yeah. here. Cause here's, here's the thing. My buddy, how many were here last week? My buddy Shane was here. My buddy Shane is super smart. Like, he's, he's really smart. He's like a I remember we're recording this. I, I won't say too much. He's super, he's super smart, and he had his rabbinical training. Um, and, and so he's just really, really smart, has a unique take on, on Scripture. He has, he has more of a global take and a historical take on Christianity and even a, maybe a Jewish take on Christianity because um, he, was, he was trained by a Messianic rabbi. And so anyway, um, since he was here last week, we literally—so this is what happened. He flew in Friday. And from the airport, we drove, I got him a bite to eat. And then we went over to Inkling's coffee shop and we filmed and we asked him at that point, we asked him every question that we had on record. And then we thought we'd steal some of the best questions and answers and show them to you. So I actually have a video. You want to check that out real quick here? Here's answering, here's Shane answering a few questions for you. Just blows my mind. A wise man. Get to be in front of him. Hey, the, the whole, the whole, the, so here's what I did. I brought him in. I said, hey, I got like, I don't know, we had like 20-something questions at the time. And I said, hey, I'm just going to fire every question at you. And you just, I said, hey, man, go as quick as you want or as long as you want. You can, I mean, just do it. Do whatever you, and we were sitting there like, oh, my gosh. Two hours. We, we literally sat there for two hours, and it just was incredible. And I just, I think I gave you the softballs to be answer, uh, to, to be honest. I mean, it was so Rich. And so every week I'll show you at least one or two questions from, from my buddy Shane and we'll, we'll keep this going. So, yeah. Awesome.
1: Cool. Next question. Next question is a fun question. What do I tell my kids about dinosaurs?
0: That they're awesome. <laughs> Who doesn't love dinosaurs, man? I mean, when I was a kid, I thought di- yeah, a little t- T-Rex with his short arms and all those memes that are out there right now. No, dinosaurs are awesome. So, you know, uh, f- funny enough, there's, a, there's a really fascinating book out there. Uh, is it, Gerald Schroeder wrote a book called The Science of God, and he's a, um, he's a MIT professor, or was, I think he's at the University of Jerusalem now, and so, um, he has some fascinating theories on creation and all this stuff, and so, anyway, he, he actually was asked that question in a Q&A, and I, I remember, I remember it, and he was like, no, it's right there in the Genesis account. And he, he actually showed the scripture, it's Genesis 121. it says, So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which, uh, with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so I never looked at this because I don't, I don't read Hebrew. Shane does. I, I don't read Hebrew. Um, but if you look at that, ever say great creatures of the sea. Yeah, that's actually, so I, I'll, I'll tell you like this. If you look at the Hebrew word, there's a Hebrew word called tannin or the root word is tannin. And so when you look at it, um, that word is used another place in scripture. So by the time you get to Exodus, there's this really weird story where like, uh, Moses and Aaron go see Pharaoh and, and God gives them almost like a magical stick that if they throw it down on the ground, it turns into a snake and they can pick it up and that kind of stuff. And so when it says that, um, they, they threw it down, and it became a snake. That was the word tannin. Right, so is that that Hebrew word. And so what happens is, is that when you look at this word, it's the same exact root word. So you have this idea. Now, remember, Genesis doesn't speak in exact animals; it speaks in categories. Right. So the winged animals, we know that's a category for birds. Right. So what do you get? As a matter of fact, you know what? The, if you've ever heard, there's a, there's a book called the Septuagint, which is just the Greek. Manuscript of the Old Testament So before Jesus came along even They took the Hebrew Bible and they started translating it into Greek Because it was a more common language of that day And when they translated it Sure sure enough, you know what this word got translated? Dinosaurs If you read the Septuagint, which was written before the time of Jesus It's the word dinosaurs Because dino means great or terrible And saurus means reptile And so literally when when they translated this Before the time of Christ They translated this, dinosaur So there's your dinosaurs It's in the Bible I don't know what you do with it. Anyway, there's other scriptures too. Like there's this weird animal called Leviathan in the book of Job, I think. And anyway, it's in there. Yeah, yeah. That's
1: awesome. I actually have to correct my daughter every time she asks me this question because she'll say, Daddy, what about, I said, she, she asked me about dinosaurs. I'll, I'll say, hey, stop talking about my mother-in-law like that. You know, I'm just kidding, babe. I'm just, my wife's right there. My mother-in-law is dynamite. Okay, here we go. Next question. Okay, here we go. This is a great question because, because this is something that, this is something that, um, we just had this discussion recently. I want and you to
0: know that I offer marriage counseling <laughs> Monday through, Monday through Wednesday if you guys need to talk oh, after man. that.
1: This is a question I had no idea what the answer was because when I saw this, I was
0: shocked myself. Uh, in the Bible, who did Cain marry? And where does she come from? Okay, so if you don't if you your Bible, here's here's how it starts. There's a story in Genesis chapter two where you have the first two people mentioned, named Adam and Eve, and then they have two kids named Cain and Abel. There's a story where you know if you you think your family's bad, uh, the, the older brother kills the little brother, and uh, and then the, the older brother gets in trouble for it, obviously, and then he's banished from you know whatever. And so then, th- but then he marries somebody. So the logical question would be like. Well, wait a minute. If the Bible has this account of Adam and Eve and then Cain and Abel, who would he marry? Now, there's something interesting. I don't know if you know this or not, but scientists have already kind of concluded that uh, all humanity comes from two parents, right? There's a mother and a father. And you know what their names are in the scientific world? Adam and Eve, yeah, yeah, they they took that from the Bible. So anyway, yeah, because it's primordial Eve and Y chromosome Adam or whatever it is. And so there's this unique thing that your genetic code that we all share this singular marker that goes back to this original set of parents, which is fascinating to think about. But this this kind of just brings up this question, well, wait a minute, if there's Adam and Eve and they have two kids named Cain and Abel, who did Cain marry? So there's two theories about it. And I say theories because nobody knows. You weren't there, I wasn't there, we don't know. But anyway, there's two theories. And one theory would be that now, Adam and Eve actually had a bunch of kids, and that this would have been him marrying his sister in essence, which sounds kind of gross to us. But you know, I guess if there's there's slim pickings, you know what do you do? So, uh, <laughs> hey Noah, hello. <laughs> so so anyway, you get you get in this idea of 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 that he you know because because in Josephus the the he's like the most famous. Um, what would you say? Jewish historian Josephus, the works of Josephus. Um, he, he actually, in, in Josephus' book, he wrote that, Genesis, that that Adam and Eve had like 30 sons and 20 daughters or, or something like that. And so anyway, so there's this idea in, in, in their historical account that Adam and Eve have a bunch of kids. Because later when you read the Genesis accounts of like so-and-so married so-and-so and they had these kids and many, and then it would say and many other kids. So there's this assumption maybe that Adam and Eve had many other kids. Now there's this other theory that basically says something along the lines of, there were other humans on the earth the Adam and Eve account is just a singular account of those two people does that make sense like and, and this th- I think this would line up more with with what you 'll hear in your 10th grade science class in terms of like humanity and the biology and wherever now again I, 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 it does seem like everybody's come from two original parents um, you know was that Adam and Eve how long ago was that nobody's really certain there's all kinds of different gap theories of like between Adam and Eve and the fall and sin and just, and they live super long I and mean, they were living like hundreds of years back then, right? Phew. Anyway, um so so there's that theory that there were other humans on the earth at the time. And so now if you'll notice though, both of these questions really kind of bring up they're both built into other uh, another question, which is, is, is the earth young or old, right? Because if, because I go back to the dinosaur thing. Well, if dinosaurs were right there in creation, right when Adam and Eve were existing, then why didn't, why didn't we see them? And why does every, you know, kind of scientist and archeologist think that they're, they're, they're that much older? It was, it was, well, that's what they think based on whatever their scientific tools are. If you believe in an old earth, there's no issue with dinosaurs whatsoever. They're just there a long time ago. What did they die? Because you ever seen Ice Age? That's a great movie. So, I mean... I don't think that's scientific, but it's it's clever. And so um, if you believe in an old earth, then then the idea of other humans being on the earth during the time of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, um, there, there's a theory that basically like that, because there's something interesting. I don't know if you know this or not, but like the idea of Adam and Eve being roughly about 6,000 years old holds true with, with certain archeological evidence because what you see is, is in Genesis 2, it says that mankind, um, that God made them a living soul. Right, Genesis 2 says he breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. It's this unique Hebrew word called nepheshim or whatever. And so what, what, it, what it literally means in, in the actual language is they became a speaking spirit. So think about it. They became a speaking spirit. We, well, so what archaeologists have found is, is that the, the point in time in which humans begin to gather in community is exactly around that same exact 6,000 year old date. So the idea of people being given a speaking spirit and having language for the very first time and forming towns and cities and communities and all that stuff. So just all this kind of interesting stuff out there. So if you believe in a young earth, I, it, it, you, you, there's a hard thing to do with some of the dinosaur stuff and people stuff and some of the science stuff. If you believe in an old earth, which I think is perfectly fine to believe in, then, then you're, you know, it's easy to, to rationalize some of that stuff. And so um, going back to like, uh, Uh, Gerald Schroeder, in his book, again, he was a mathematician out of MIT, he put together a a mathematical formulation built on the theory of relativity that based on – because theory of relativity is E equals MC squared, right? energy equals mass times the speed of light multiplied by itself and all this stuff. And so what it basically is talking about is the fact that speed moves at different rates, different parts of the universe, right? No? Okay. Okay. Time is not constant in the universe. It's only constant as we know it here on earth, but it's not constant in the universe. He did a mathematical formulation, and he basically, what he felt like he had proved was, is that what takes place in six days at the point of of the big bang and the point of god's creation would have taken 14 billion years at the expansion rate of the universe out here at this distant point past the big bang. So it's just kind of this fat, you're and you're reading this stuff and you're like my lord this is incredible. And, and again, again it's all theory, nobody was there. And so this goes back to this idea of like certainty. I don't know, I wasn't there. Um I've never seen a dinosaur, you know? I've seen the bones. They're pretty cool. i uh, never seen a dinosaur. I don't know. I wasn't there with Adam and Eve in the garden. I don't know if there was other. I don't really know. I'm not certain. And uh, so where there is, here's a great quote for you to live by. Where there is not certainty, there ought be humility. Okay? Like if, there, if you're not certain, just be humble. I don't know. I, beats me. I know this is what the Bible says, but here's the other thing about, see, here's the other thing about reading the Bible and thinking that you're um, an expert on the Bible. This book's been around for thousands of years and you have brilliant people who are way smarter than me and you, and they all come to slightly different conclusions. What does that tell you? If really, really smart people can come to different conclusions reading the same text, what does that tell you? that we don't know, that there ought to be a flexibility to it. And being absolutely certain about it is more divisive, more argumentative, and it does more harm than it does good. There ought to be this openness and curiosity to our faith about these things. And so, again, if you believe in a younger that's fine. If you believe in an older earth, that's fine. Nobody was there. Nobody knows for certain. And we're all coming to slightly different conclusions about the same exact text. So let's be humble. Amen? That was a
1: great question. Where there is not certainty, there ought to be humility. I, I just love that. That's great. That's good advice overall. I, I, like, I like how somebody else said it too. They said where there's no clear, if God doesn't make something clear, we shouldn't try to make it clear, right? And so we should just be humble about things. Last question here, and of course, you can actually uh, go to our website at mbchurch.tv and send us all your questions. And then next week and the week after, we're going to tackle these questions. Um, but here's, here's one that comes close to heart for me because this is so personal. Um, can a
0: person who commits suicide go to heaven? Man, that's a deep, deep question. And that question comes from my point of, of sometimes pain and fear even. Cause if you have a loved one, I remember when I was a youth pastor, I don't think i ever told you this story. I was a youth pastor and this guy, he was in Michigan. He came to me and he was about the same age as me. And, um, I think it was like summertime. He was wearing a turtleneck. He'd been coming to church for just a few weeks, and he finally says, hey, I wanted to come and tell you my story. He pulls down his turtleneck, and he has this big scar around his neck. He goes, man. I just want you to know that I, I, I'm struggling with depression. I tried to commit suicide, and I'm looking for help, and I'm, I, I need God in my life. And, and And he had faith in God, but he was so struggling. And so, man, we we were praying with this guy and counseling with this guy. I remember one night he called me, and I literally went and drove down 30 minutes to his house and spent the night with him because he was just, he said he was on the brink of of just absolute despair. And so, um, and it, but it was hard. You know, you're a youth pastor; you care about people. You love you love young people. And um, and sure enough, we got a call probably just a few weeks later that he. Had in fact committed suicide and it just broke my heart and um so this is this is real this is if you if you know somebody it's real it's deep this is and, and then there, there's a fear to it and so and it, christians christians can sometimes be um less than compassionate about some stuff sometimes we get so we again we get so certain about our doctrines and so certain about and dogmatic about our our beliefs that we realize like bro that's a person and they're hurting they 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 don't need you to fix all their doctrines right now. They need your love and compassion. And so uh, you, you have my love and compassion. Um, tons of people struggle with, with depression. And funny enough, th- there are people in the Bible that struggle with depression. And I find that awesome. That's what's part- partly cool about the Bible. The Bible is not pretty. <laughs> the Bible is not cookie cutter. The Bible is messy. Like go read every story of all the different like heroes of the faith. They're all dysfunctional. It should make you feel better about yourself. If God can use them. He can definitely use Nate, right? And so, um, you can do it. I believe you. you. And so, uh, so, so anyway, uh, Moses struggled with depression, thought about committing suicide. Elijah thought about committing. Suicide. Jonah was a big whiner, but was thinking about committing suicide. Um, And, and that's a fascinating, so I have to preach on Jonah soon. And so, uh, so you have these people that are struggling and, and they clearly have faith in God and seeing the miraculous. I mean, Moses walked through the red sea and Elijah's seeing fire come out of heaven and all this. And they're like, but they're struggling and they're not struggling necessarily with, with whether God uh, is real or whether he's there, whether they have faith in God, but there's something going on that has stolen them of all of their hope and peace. And so, um, I think the less than compassionate side of Christianity, when they answer this question, sometimes they're like, well, that's murder, and murders can't go to heaven, and that's just what the Bible says. And it's like, well, you probably should read the whole book and read a bunch of other stuff too because there's so much more to it than just that. Again, you have tons of people that are fighting depression. Because here's, here's what you would have to say. What you would have to say to answer that question so certainly that they definitely don't is, is you would have to say this, is that your last act on earth defines your faith. Now, I don't want to do that. Let me, let, me give, let me give you a for instance. Um, I love my wife, and she's never made me angry, not once in her entire existence. <laughs> but let's just say that she did. See, I, and I have a wonderful mother-in-law. Play the, Play the line of cautions. I, I made my mother-in-law cry when I was first married. Uh, outside of that, I, I love my mother-in-law. It was that one time, but those, okay, I'm getting sidetracked. So let's just say, let's just say this. Let's say me and my wife get in this big argument, and this big fight, and, and I'm like, I'm out of here. And I go jump in my car and I'm, dry, because of my anger and me being upset, I'm driving too fast. Let's say I miss the, you know, I miss a turn. I, 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 I go through a stop sign. I wrap my car around a telephone pole and I die. What you would have to say is, well, Todd, you know, Todd was sinning. And actually his sin led to his own death. Todd's not going to heaven. Let me, let me just tell you this real quick here. Any question, you have to be careful. You have to be careful with any question that starts with, do these people go to heaven? I don't know. I am not judge, jury, any of that stuff. All I know is, is that I want to serve and honor God to the greatest of my ability. And I absolutely believe in 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 God's grace towards me. I believe in in Jesus' death and resurrection as as the salvation of my soul. I, I believe that with all my life. But for me to be certain about who's getting in and who's not getting in, that sounds very much like a Pharisee. That does not sound like Jesus. Because the reality is, is we don't know. And there were other, I don't know if you know this, there were church fathers that argued and debated and, and, and contemplated like, man, can you get saved even after death? Is that a possibility? I mean, there's one scripture that says that it is given a, a, every man to die once and then the judgment. But then you got this, this account at the end of the book of Revelation where, where they're actually referring to sinners being outside of the city gates, but Jesus compelling them to come in. I don't know. That's way beyond my pay grade. I'd like to think of it like this. As a pastor, I am given information on a need-to-know basis. And there's a lot of stuff I don't know. So any question, I'm just saying, be careful. Any question like, well, do these people go to heaven? I don't think that should be the goal of our question. You know, we we think about like how to ask a good question. Think about this. Normally when we're asking the question, who gets into heaven and who doesn't get into heaven, that's probably not a great place to be like starting from. Does that make sense? Is this a sin or is that a sin? Norm, that's not even a good question usually either because now we're trying to figure out again, who gets in or who gets out. Or you know what we're trying to do sometimes? We're trying to figure out how close can I get to sin? Where I actually cross that line, or I'm trying to judge other people based on it's just it's just not the best way to answer a question. I don't know in the end exactly who gets into heaven and who doesn't get into heaven. I, I, I'm a given information on a need to know basis. Here's what I do know: I know God is love. I know God is just. I know God is the, the righteous judge and is merciful. And you know what? I, I don't know the answer to all those questions. And so where there is not certainty, there ought be humility. But I do know this. I love people and I am trying with all my life to compel people to come to Christ. Because I believe that Jesus is salvation right here, right now in this life and in the life to come. Because uh, listen, we're not following Jesus or putting our faith in Jesus so that one day we'll be saved and ask you, we, we believe salvation is right here, right now. Like the love of God, the peace of God, the purpose and plan of God, it is for right here, right now. And now I'm just preparing myself for eternity. Does that make sense? And so... Anyway, I would just say this. If you have a loved one out there that that did commit suicide, the answer is I I don't know. I I don't know what their faith was like. I don't know if they'd ever put their faith in Jesus. I'm not sure, but I do know this. I know people struggle, and it breaks my heart. I know people that have incredible faith in God, and maybe there's a demonic attack. Maybe there's a chemical imbalance. Maybe there's some. You you have to remember, you don't know. You you have no idea what they've been through. Like I, I have had, and I'm not unaware of this, I have had a very privileged life terms of my parents or my upbringing or God's, you know, just hand on my life and me being able to avoid certain pains and tragedies. I've been incredibly fortunate. I have no idea what it's like for certain people to go through things that are absolutely so terrible or gut-wrenching. I don't know. So I don't ever want to be arrogant and say, well, I'd never do that. Uh, You you don't know. But I do know this. I know God is good. I know he's kind. I know he is merciful. I know he's just. I'll let him figure all that out and we'll weigh all that out in the end and I'll let him be the judge of that because I don't want that job anyway. Um, you know what? It's, it's, um, it's 11.23 and I've gone long, which I was afraid that I might do. And so let me just kind of leave you on this thought. We have way more, literally, we have lists of questions. And so we're going to be, ever say next week, Next week, we're going to be back in here. And so what I would encourage you is, is this. Keep asking questions. It is great to ask questions. See, I believe this. I believe that that um, he who knows the truth, that the truth will set him free, that there's something powerful about learning, about growing, about asking questions, about discovering something. But, but let me balance you with this again. And this kind of goes back. I'm going to make it full circle and come back to the beginning. As a Christ follower, more than being right about everything, I'd rather you be full of love. I really would. I would rather you fulfill Scripture than be right about every Scripture because you're not going to be right about Scripture. You're, you're not. Nobody has perfect doctrine. Nobody's figured it all out. No, everybody reads the Bible with a certain jaded level of interpretation. You do. I just promise you, I promise you, you do. As a matter of fact, there was a, there's, a, there's, a, uh, um, there's an article I read about the, the prodigal son, and they said that they took the prodigal son to these different people groups and said, read it and tell us what you think. And when they took the prodigal son to Americans, so you know what they thought? Man, that kid's crazy when there's a prodigal living, ran off to Vegas and went nuts. And then they took it to another group of people in, in Russia. This is a couple of decades ago. And they said, you read it. And what they noticed was is the famine, that the famine came regardless of the son's sin or righteousness. The famine still came. You know why they thought that? They'd just gone through incredible famine. Then they took it to a village in Africa and said, what do you see? They said, we see this older brother who's neglect- neglected his responsibility. Because where we come from, the older brother is responsible for the younger brother. And the older brother never went looking for him and never went to give him and then had a bad attitude when the kid got home. All of a sudden, you're like, holy smoke. So like three different cultures saw the same text and saw three different things completely. And, and and none of it was contradicting, but I'm just telling you, you see the Bible through your own lens and you see. So so, so anyway, just keep searching, keep discovering. You, don't just Don't hold on dogmatically to all these certain things because here's the reality. As a Christ follower, I'd rather you operate in love. The apostle Paul said it like this. He said, the greatest virtues in life are faith, hope, and love. Truth did not make the top three. It's incredibly important, but it didn't make the top three. Because earlier in that same chapter, he says this. He said, if you had all the wisdom in the world, but you didn't have love, you'd be obnoxious. What do you do with that? And so as a Christ follower, I want you to be known for for your love. As a matter of fact, this is what Jesus said. You got to remember this. Jesus said, you will know that they follow me because they have all their doctrines just perfect. No, he didn't say that. He said, you will know that they follow me by how they what? Love one another. And so the goal is this. If we could end on this quote right here, I wrote this down for you. The goal of asking questions, if I can look at it and find it in my notes or, man, if you can put it up here on the screen. I lost it. Oh, the goal of questions is a deeper understanding and not deeper our divisions. Can I get an amen? Let's pray this morning. So, dear God, we just pray. God, help us to know you. Help us to dig in deeper. Help us to keep asking profound questions and to help us to ask them with a humble heart. God, help us to seek to know you. Help us to seek to discover more about who you are, about how this world works, about what your plan and your purpose for our life is. And so God, we pray that we would go out of this place full of love, full of compassion, but full of curiosity and humility and seeking to know more, God, growing in our understanding of you. Father, we pray, help us to keep asking great questions. We ask this in Jesus' name and we all said, amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.